Geekville Radio. This special edition of Geekville Radio is for International Podcast Day 2023. We're going to hit the Wayback Machine for this one, folks. So sit back, get your favorite beverage, and enjoy. Unless you're driving in a car or something like that, and you probably can't sit back. But I'll let you be the judge of your own life. Hello once again, all you geeks and geekettes, Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio. And yes, it is that special day for podcasters. This is International Podcast Day in the year of our Lord, 2023. We're going to hop into the Wayback Machine for kind of a little bit of best of clips. We're going to travel back and talk about the career of the late great Kevin Conroy, who passed away late last year. And then we'll switch gears into the Doctor Who universe, where my co-host Mark Short from Examine the Doctor and I talk about the return of David Tennant. So if you were looking for anything new, you can stop now, move on to the next episode. My feelings won't be hurt. We'll catch you in the next episode. But if you're sampling us for the first time, first of all, welcome. Geekville Radio here. And you'll get a feel for the type of shows we tend to do. And I'll go into more detail at the end of the show for that. But for the meantime, like I said, we'll hop into the Wayback Machine, where Crazy Train and I will talk the late, great Kevin Conroy, and then we'll wind it up with Mark Short and I talking the return of David Tennant. Geek Bill Radio. All right, we're going to have a bit of a heavy heart for the the last segment of the show, ladies and gentlemen, because truth be told, we had these news parts mapped out beforehand, but then the news hit of the passing of the phenomenally talented Kevin Conroy, who voiced Batman for, well, 30 years now. And that is probably what he's going to be best known for. And uh, he did a lot of acting before that. He did a lot of uh, in front of the camera acting. And I believe we were talking off mic train that he actually had gone to acting schools for the likes of like Christopher Reeve and uh, what's it like Kelsey Grammer, some of the other people that, that Kelsey also Grammer became big and his roommate in college at Juilliard. And that, if you need any evidence that he was like the real deal, was Robin Williams. So that's a nice little group of talented folks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Robin Williams, Kelsey Grammer, Christopher Reeve, and, and, and Kevin Conroy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my, my introduction to him, I didn't realize it at the time. But my introduction to him was actually in the late 80s TV show that was set during the Vietnam War, Tour of Duty. And uh, he played the captain uh, of that. He, he yep. they, had the, they had the two commissioned officers that were kind of the good cop, bad cop. And he was the good cop of the mm-hmm. two. It was like he was the good guy of the commissioned officers that were telling the, the unit where to, where to go and what to do. Yeah, I don't think I made that connection until years after his run as Batman. Yeah, same, same here. For me, the the, the right tour of duty because it was it was more of like in the vein of the tune, the movie, mm-hmm. where it was an actual show about just what it was like to be a soldier in Vietnam. Whereas its contemporary which was China Beach, which starred the ever gorgeous Dan Delaney, mm-hmm. was more of a, a soap opera because it was. I'm a Mash fan; it's my favorite show of all time, and a kind of more of a serious Mash feel because it was a medical. Facility. But my biggest draw on tour of duty was. 
the theme song. You remember the theme song? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They'd used uh, Painted Black by the Rolling Stones, and they used a lot of 60s music at the time, which laws were different back then as far as copyright and all that. So you will have to go back and find tapes of the original broadcast from the 80s in order to hear that music. Because if you get the DVDs now, or if you watch it in syndication, you have this generic military type music going in the background. Right, right. And it just kills everything, figuratively. And I just blew my mind that at that point, I had never heard a Stone song used like that. Because they were such a big band. And Payton Black, in full transparency, I'm not as huge Stones. I know that's probably going to make a lot of people bad want to remove my rock and roll car. I'm, I'm a Beatles guy. I'm not a, not a not Stones guy. Actually, I'm probably more of the two. If you could, <laughs> I'm more of the who and the kinks than I am. You still was no, in the I Beatles, the but I love all of them. Okay. Yeah. But they're on that list of four, the, the stones are at four. Either. Mm. But Paint It Black is my favorite stone song. It really is. And I just was blown away. And I remember the show and I watched it with, with my dad. And then I think I was in, I, I, I think Batman, the animated series was already done and they'd already moved on to the new Batman and Robin Adventures, which is like, what, season three? Before yeah. I made the connection. I can't remember how I made the connection. I think someone pointed it out to you, if I remember right. Oh, you remember the, the good captain from Tour Duty? Yeah, that's the boys of Batman. Well, it is. Then yeah. they, they click. Yeah, yeah, you go back and watch it now and now you can't miss it. Yeah, you can't unhear it. But, but I just, I don't know why I didn't make that connection until somebody pointed it out to me. I, I find it amazing. Here was this guy that had, that we said, was a serious actor, went to Juilliard, trained classical acting, had done lots of stage work, major stage work, mm-hmm. and done a few TV bits. I think he also was a, maybe in a soap opera, like Edge of the Night or something like that. I, I think so, yeah. He'd yeah, done, one, of those days, one of those daytime done, soaps. Yeah, well, daytime soaps. So he had done stuff like that, and he had never been a big cop. He did, he, by his own admission, knew nothing about Batman, the character. Mm-hmm. And then he reads for the role mm-hmm. and they think he's perfect, which I, I think we all agree. He was perfect for what's back to this day. I think I speak for a lot of us where I hear his voice in my head when I'm reading Batman comics to this day. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's when you know, you really got a role now mm-hmm. when you take a hardcore comic fan who's been reading these titles for years. And I don't know what voice we had in our head before that, but then one actor so grabs that character that they become the voice we hear in our head. We'll read the comic. They mm-hmm. need that. And to his credit, I think part of the reason why, besides the phenomenal work he did, we are such an insular, strange little audience that are comic book nerds. When, when an actor, especially one who's very, very seriously trained like him, takes on an iconic role like Batman, fully embraces it and fully embraces the fandom and does it see it as a joke or a paycheck, that means you invest that much more to it. And so I think that's part of the love that Kevin Conroy got from the fans besides just phenomenal work on Batman. Just the fact yeah. that he fully embraced it. I think you're seeing that right now with Tom Hiddleston, Loki. Yeah, absolutely. Here's another seriously trained actor who, instead of seeing the MCU as fluff, he completely embraced the Loki character and we love him. Because it, it seems like he... Once he got hired, he took the role seriously. I, mean, I, I know Mark Hamill yes. has told the story. Another guy who I hear his voice in my head now when I read The Joker. But Mark Hamill right. told the story after they both had been cast. And Mark Hamill's talking about all these stories that they could adapt 
uh, and brings down, well, I wonder if they could do this and do that. I forget what stories he was actually mentioning, but Mark Hamill, of course, right. had been a comic fan all his life. I think he still reads comics to this day. And yep. Mark could immediately tell by Kevin's reaction that Kevin didn't know what the heck Mark was talking about as far as these storylines. They probably wound up getting to do some adaptation of these stories Mark was thinking of, mm-hmm. and Kevin still didn't know what talking about. Yeah. Like, I, I would bet feeding the time frame is killing a joke. Oh, yeah. And, and of course, that was made into an animated years later. With yeah, because yeah, I know Mark Hamill had said years ago, because he had kind of stepped away from Joker. It wasn't that he didn't want to do the Joker. I think he got massively misunderstood or when that. he said it. He said he didn't want to do the Joker unless it was something that met a certain standard. He didn't want to just do the Joker for a, a, a commercial or something like that. But I remember he said, I'll come back to do the Killing Joke. And then lo and behold, a couple of years mm-hmm. later, they do an R-rated animated adaption of the Killing Joke, which, let's face it, the Killing Joke has to be R-rated when you think yes. of what they do to Barbara Gordon in that movie. Well, well what, what they brought out with Barbara Gordon to Bruce Wayne to be in the all of a sudden, like, no, 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 that, that, <laughs> that, that, that they R-rated too. And yeah. that's probably the only weakness in that movie. If every diehard Batman fan like you, you're like, no, yeah. no, this is just wrong. Right. But that aside, I digress, that, that's phenomenal. And one of the things I think will always be Kevin Conroy's place in history for Batman was he was the first actor. And at this point, there'd already been several actors that had played Batman. You had, of course, Adam West, the famous who played him in the 66 mm-hmm. TV series. I think Michael Keaton did one, made both as Batman yeah. in the Jim Bowden movie. I can't remember the older actor. What was the one that serials, black and white serials in 30? Oh, so yeah. There have been a lot of them. Right, right. And and remember that Adam West actually went back uh, in the later seasons of Super Friends and voiced Batman for a couple of seasons of Super Friends. Right, so, you know, right. he did go back. I forgot about the I can't remember who voiced him. And, 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 was it Welker? Or, I can't remember uh, who voiced oh, him. Oh, yeah, because I friend. know they had a, a much more pronounced voice for Batman in the earlier seasons. I, I can look that up, but right. I've said it before. One of my favorite adaptions in my youth that I saw was a, and it's still on HBO Max last time I checked, but it's a Super Friends yeah. episode called The Fear. And they tell Batman's origin. Scarecrow. Yeah, yeah, with the Scarecrow. And in, in, in it's not in morning cartoon. Right, right. They're able to do, in a 1980s Saturday morning cartoon, they effectively told Batman's origin, which I understood because I watched it at the time, they told Batman's origin without mentioning the words kill, gun, or murder, murder, anything like that. But you know what happens. They don't actually show the murders happening. You know, you just see this flash of lightning and then the, the tombstones. But they were able to tell such a dark story and adapt it to a Saturday morning cartoon. And I thought that was brilliant, but... Right. That, and that was Adam West. Right. That wasn't Kevin Conroy. I'll uh... <laughs> So the, the guy, Conroy comes along in this 90s cartoon, and he's the first actor out of all these actors who just named, who decides, I'm going to make the voice of Bruce Wayne different than the voice of Batman. Mm-hmm. I think, in my opinion, it's totally my opinion, that Keaton tried to do that a little bit. Yeah. But he was raspy a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin Conroy went in full bore. And I think that it now it is so iconic that every actor who's played Batman since then has tried to do. Yeah. Whether you talk about Gilmer yeah. or George Clooney or Jim Bale or, yeah. or Wild Pattinson, they've all have tried to do that. He has effectively made that a part of the Batman mythos that 
Bruce Wayne has one voice and he speaks in a different voice as Batman. And they're in an analog to the comics because for years in the comics, Batman would write and sign the name Bruce Wayne right-handed and would write and sign the name Batman left-handed to mm -hmm. throw people off. And I don't know if, if in his research, Kevin saw that and said, well, let's do the same thing with the voice or it's just something he came up with on his own out of whole cloth. But it is now definitely a part of the Batman Mike. And it totally makes sense for the character. And uh, yeah, it, yeah, it's one of those rare times that something happened outside of the comics that then becomes essentially Ken what's in the comics. Right. You know, and you can squarely lay that at the feet of Kevin Condor. And once again, for a guy who did not know the history of this character or to be tied to him, but to understand the character well enough to do that, that's amazing. Yeah, definitely. Now, obviously for years, that was his regular gig was voicing Batman. That seemed to be the, the, the one role he did, but he did have some other voice roles over the years because I remember he had said, well, way back when we were talking the Crisis on Infinite Earths miniseries for uh, CW, for the Arrowverse, he, of course, played an older Bruce Wayne in that. And he said that was his first in front of the camera role in, in many years. He, he had just been doing voice roles forever. But you know, off and on, he had done Batman, not only for those Batman TV series, but for Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. He'd done many animated movies as Batman as well. But he did have a couple other roles as other characters. I know in one of the DC shorts, if I recall correctly, I think he was a narrator for a Shazam story. But I know that he was Merman in the first season of Kevin Smith's He-Man uh, Revolution. Uh, no, Re Revelation, not Revolution. And I guess he's already recorded. I don't know if it's come out yet, but he is going to play Hordak for the second season. And now, granted, He-Man's not my forte. I was never a big He-Man mm -hmm. fan growing up. I never really had the, the any of the toys. But I watched the TV show on and off. But right. my understanding of Hordak was he was basically Skeletor's mentor, which is also kind of fitting because in Kevin Smith's story, guess who's playing Skeletor? Mark Hamill. So, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah it, it's kind of a roundabout, uh, all comes back to uh, the same thing. But yeah, like, like I said, I probably for the rest of my life, I'm going to hear Kevin Conroy's voice in my head when I read Batman comics. And my only regret is I didn't actually go up and get an autograph or shake hands with him or whatever. But I'd seen many of his Q&As over the years at, at different conventions. They were always one of the highlights because you could tell how much he loved doing the role and how much love he had for the fans. And I still remember him talking about doing the Arkham games because he said it was the most grueling schedule of anything he had done because with the games, oh, yeah. there's so many different ways that you can go. You can die early in the game. You can die late in the game, all these different things. So a lot of times he would probably just spend an entire day, eight hours a day, plus the hour for lunch or whatever, just recording the oohs or ahs. Or, or yep. reactions and uh, he talked yeah, the, the cut the cut scenes are like any other movie mm -hmm. they're they're their lines you read them and that's that mm -hmm. obviously i'm a huge arkham now our all right. listeners know that after the red dead series it's my favorite game probably played the batmans all of more than any other video game out there and he voiced them in all the arkham games except for arkham wars mm -hmm. which was voiced by a camera yeah. he's a video game voice actor he did a good job he right. sounded like, yeah, he basically did a Kevin Conroy impression. Right. Right. 
And, but anyway, I, I, I've said all along the 2009 Arkham Asylum, I think, I think I'm, I'm speaking, I'm speaking out of turn here when I say you revolutionized it. Mm-hmm. The, the graphics were so good. The storytelling was so good. All that, yeah, the, the fighting system, it completely changed the video game. They had, they had one animator whose entire job it was to animate Batman's cape. Heck, this guy mm-hmm. spent hours upon hours making sure the cape looked realistic in all the different ways that would blow in the wind, glide and stuff. That's how serious they took that game. And it was also <clears throat> the first successful superhero. It was the first time so many superheroes uh, had been tried to <clears throat> be adapted for video games and never with great success. Especially and Batman. then you actually felt like you were Batman playing the Arkham game. And that was, and that, I think to this day, Arkham Asylum is still in the Guinness Book of World Records is the most successful superhero video game ever. And if it's been usurped, it was probably usurped by its, by its sequel, Arkham But with all that being said, everybody I've talked to that's played the game, whether they were hardcore Batman fans or just video game fans, all of us have agreed that one of the strongest reasons why that game worked was because they bought back Kevin Conroy and Mark Campbell to voice mm-hmm. Batman and Joe Grant. And, and for the first one, Harley, Eileen Sorkin, for Harley, she was replaced by, by Dare Strong. And the second, it is a good Harley. Mm-hmm. But bringing back those three voices that, even if you were a Batman fan, if you were a person of a certain age, you grew up hearing that voice because of the, the success of the cartoon. Right? And that, that's why I say, and I, I think you agree with me, Kevin Conroy, for an entire generation, he is our Batman. Yep, definitely. For the generation before us, Adam West. And I got no problem with that. I like Adam mm-hmm. West. I think Michael Keaton was headed that way with Batman for our generation, but then he only did the two films that dropped yeah. out. And then Kevin Conroy comes right in behind that and does just such a um, amazing job and does it for so long. For if you're between the ages of 30 and 60, Kevin Conroy is your Batman. He is your Batman. Mm-hmm. And that totally made the games work because, and I liked it because as much as I love the, uh, much as I love the cartoon, they were still afternoon cartoons for kids. So there was only a level, a certain level of, violence and seriousness to those cartoons in the Arkham games with a little bit more mature lady. I think we saw more of what Batman liked from the comic book and Kevin Agreed. got to bring his work. Yeah. And two, two, two examples for me from the games and how often Kevin was in that role are both from Arkham Asylum, the first game where one, he shows Batman's ability to kind of have a sense of humor, which Batman's always so serious and brooding. People are re- he actually does have a humor. He's not a bad guy. And there's a scene early on in the game where you're trying to escape. You just realize that Joker's taken over the asylum and you're trying to escape from the building you're in to go out and battle him. And to slow you down as you're trying to take an elevator, Joker sends Harley to drop a bomb or to explode an elevator which breaks and then take the elevator flying really fast, hoping that you will give up. Well, it's Batman, but he's not going to give up. Right. But as, as he saves himself and the guard's life, when it's crashing the elevator. He gets a call on his comms from Oracle. And she's like, are you okay, Bruce? And he's like, I'm fine. All the Quinn tried to slow me down. Really? Yeah. She tried to drop the elevator on me. How'd it work? <laughs> and he laughs. Not too good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
sends a cup. He says, I'm like, all he's ever been by. And it shows Batman's sense of humor and how Kevin could do that. But the absolute best line, and it's, I need to find it and, 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 and so you can post it or put it in the show notes now. After you beat Bane, because he's the second boss character you face. He's actually the first boss character you face in the game. You, you, you face Bane, and during your entire fight, he keeps talking about how he's going to get the Bruja Bane is. And, 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 and whip off from Trench, whip her arms off. And then he's going to go after the Pasa, which is the clown, the Joker. Mm-hmm. And you escort Gordon to a boat because Arkham in this game is an island out in, the, out in the harbor. And you send him back to Gotham and tell him, you'll handle this situation. And Gordon says, he kept, Bane kept saying Bruja, Bruja. What does he mean? What, what does Bruja mean? And he, he never turned around. It just shows Batman walking away from Gordon. He goes, Bruja is a Spanish word for witch. Mm-hmm. And just the way he said it. And just never even looks back and go, it's, it is the epitome of Batman. And had no other actor could have pulled off the way he said it, the way Kevin Howard would. Yeah. Blue Hot a Spanish word for witch. <laughs> it is dead on. I will find that clip. I'm sure it's on YouTube. And I'll send mm-hmm. it to you, Seth, so you can post it in the show notes. If you do not understand how good Kevin Conroy was at the voice of Batman, but you do have an understanding of Batman, the character, Watch that 34 second clip and you only understand why he is the voice of Batman for an entire generation. And I do remember one of the early episodes of the original Batman, the animated series, they had a Christmas episode. It might've been the first Joker episode as well. That was the very first episode, period. Or second, I think. Then the first episode was on Leather, on leather Wings, which is the Man, uh, man Bat. Yeah. yeah. The second one was Christmas with the Joker. Yes. That's- yeah. That's the one you're talking about, yeah. Because because I remember the closing scene to that. There was something about I think Robin was trying to get Batman to watch It's a Wonderful Life, and and the punchline to it is Bruce Wayne saying, "I have trouble getting past the title." Yeah, and I, the whole time I was just begging him, "Sir, the hands are to get cold." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he played a fine ham dinner for for for, for Dick and and Bruce, and he just wants to eat his dinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, uh, I, I, I must also add that too. This is about Conroy, but having Ephraim Zimbalist do the voice of, oh, of Alfred this early, the way they played off each other was brilliant. Mm-hmm. You believe, once again, the, the, the complexity of Kevin Conroy's approach to this character. Besides, he could have a, have a sense of humor but be brooding, like I was talking about earlier in the Ogden Asylum game. How he could have these two different voices for, and they had this very light kind of voice for Bruce Wayne you'd buy, like this foppish playboy trying to hide his real identity seriousness yeah if you understand batman you've always understood that there's a reason why alfred still calls bruce master because it's proper etiquette once a boy turns 12 he's no longer master he's supposed to be called mister he's a man mm-hmm. but yet here's bruce wayne as an adult and alfred still calls him master wayne because in many ways alfred still sees bruce as a child he's the boy that little lost boy whose parents got killed. Yeah. Alfred is the closest thing to a father figure that Bruce has had. Exactly. And so I think you needed an actor, the age and gravitas of an Ephraim Zimbalist to be believable in the role of, oh, he's the father figure to Batman. And Kevin Conroy, to his credit, went with it. And even though he's Bruce, and even though he's a mature adult, there's still almost like a son talking to his father when they would have interaction on the show. Alfred's probably the only person that could talk down to Bruce Wayne. 
quite frankly. I don't think even Lex no, Luthor no. could talk down oh, to Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne, yes. <laughs> Bruce right. Wayne, yes. But there's two characters that can talk down to, to Batman. One is, is Alfred, the other is Jim Gordon. Mm-hmm. Yes. But Jim Gordon doesn't know that Bruce Wayne is Batman. I think he had his suspicions on his hat. Yeah. And, and I, I believe if we want to accept Dark Knight Returns as canon, if I recall correctly, I think Jim Gordon did know, but by that time Batman was retired. So Right, yeah. right, right. He knew when Bruce was quote-unquote dead in was, Battle for the Cow, it was, was acting. He knew right away. And, he's, and he tells him, it isn't just because you got a ponytail hanging out the back of your cow. You're taller, <laughs> you're, so, you're more slender, you have a, a sense of humor about you that the old one didn't have. And once again, that's very, very true, the difference between Dick Grayson and Bruce Lane. Even though Bruce trained Dick, you know. Right. And, and I think just with the character of Jim Gordon, I, I think we'd agree, Gordon would not want to know, like even if he could know, Batman's no. real identity. He wouldn't no. want to know because if he doesn't actually know the identity, then he doesn't have to lie they can't and say, him. I don't know who he is. The difference between Bruce and Dick, I've always said, is that Dick gets along and plays well with others, whereas Bruce is not. <laughs> right. And right. this is why Dick Grayson winds up being a leader of the Justice League, winds up leading the Teen Titans, and Bruce never did that as Batman. He just, mm. he can't. And I think Bruce even said that later in the comics that you have done something I couldn't do myself. You've been able to build the trust of the other superhero in the community, and I yeah. couldn't. And I think you see that once again the, the depth of Kevin Conroy's delivery. Mm-hmm. As you, as, as you, if you follow, if you, you know, after the Batman series done, you continue to voice the character in the Justice uh, movies and series. There's he brings this. I don't trust you, and you don't trust me. Mm-hmm. To the rest of the phenomenal voice cast. That they had for all these other characters. And the, I can't remember who voiced the Green Arrow in this. Oh, but gosh. It was played between the two of them. With Kevin Conroy's take yet a different approach yet again, he he looks at Ollie different. Because Ollie's just like him. He's just, he, he has the Superman. He's the one that convinces Ollie to join the, the Justice mm-hmm. League. Another great one, example, Kevin Conroy as Batman. It's from that series. The, the scene where... Him and Wonder Woman are doing the surveillance on I know exactly uh, where you're going. On the Iceberg Lounge. Mm-hmm. And Diana's always been trying to hit on Bruce. Right. And she's like playing with him and flirting with him. And he just stoic as all me. I can't remember the line. I'm paraphrasing you. First off, I don't believe in relationships among the team. It never works. Secondly, you're a mortal goddess for the society of warrior women. I don't risk you with problems. Lots and lots or issues. Yeah, lots issues, and yes. lots of issues. Yeah. It's just so perfect. I to love you. And then at the end of that episode, which is a fantastic episode, I'm about that. I think it's called Three Little Pigs or something like that. Seriously, turned Wonder Woman into a pig. And so Batman has to figure out a way to, to get her back to human, to human form. And at the end of the episode, they actually have Batman as part of the deal for Cersei to turn her back is sing Am I Blue? And Kevin right. Conroy is the one who sings. And, and that's a good job. You know, mm-hmm. this is a really like, wow, he has a good singing voice. Well, that doesn't surprise me. With Juilliard, he did stay. I'm sure he did musicals at some point. Right. I, another aspect of Batman that I think Kevin Conroy nailed, go, going with the Justice League examples, is the very first Justice League story. I guess it was a three-parter, I want to say. And ah, uh, okay. once they'd kind of all come together and they're like, hey, wow, we can form a team here. And everybody's in except for Batman. And they all kind of look at Batman. And uh, again, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he said, well, I'm not really good for working in groups, but when you need right. my help, 
and you will. You know how to find me. <laughs> it's like, that is so Batman. Right there. <laughs> that little stinger right there. As you will. Yes. Have, have, you, have you by chance seen the animated DC movie, Duke? Just the Duke. Yes. Yes. That was the one with, they, they adapted the, I think it was Ra's al Ghul in the comics, but I think it was uh, Vandal mm. Savage in the animated. But yeah, right. it was where Vandal Savage adapted all, it stole all the failsafe, basically all the ways to beat these Justice League members. And I think I, I don't want to steal any thunder from you, but I think what you might be building towards was when, uh, finale. Yeah. Finale. Where, where, where all the Justice League, it's like they're shocked that Batman had all these fail safe on how to beat each and every one of them. And I think it was Wonder Woman said something to the effect of, we never would have thought that with you. And Batman just says, well, then you're all damn fools. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he even points out that they used his protocol to take him. So he didn't want on himself too. Yeah. But the, the real, the real, that's right, you're damn fool. But the real clincher for me is after he basically tells the Justice League, I can't be part of this group if you don't see the reaching for their needing to be a failsafe for each and every one of you. He goes to get on the boom to teleport off the watch tower back down to Earth and Superman stops him. And and it, it, it's, it, it's a great example of Kevin Conroy as Batman. It's a great example of, oh, what's his name that does, that does Superman? It's either Tim Daly or George oh, Newburn. I think it's Tim Daly. It's Tim, 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 Tim. It is Tim Daly and Doom. Okay. And much like Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy, I thought they had a great dynamic of Superman and Batman in the comic stuff. And Superman basically tells him, I understand why. And then he entrusts him with the last piece. Mm-hmm. And, that, and Batman, like, hmm. and this, this, this blooded reaction of a film convoy doesn't even say it's on the body. And then he gets on the transport. And it's like those little subtle moments of the, mm, or you're damn fools, or it's Spanish for which. That is where Kevin Conroy nailed Batman. Yeah. I think Go it was there, there was a Justice League episode, I want to say it was with Amazo who, of course, can grab all the other superhero powers. And he finally grabs a Superman and looks like all is lost. And then Batman realizes, right. hey, you got all the strengths, but you got the weaknesses too. And socks him with kryptonite. And somebody mm-hmm. says, do you always carry kryptonite with you? And Batman just kind of looks at us. Of course. Call it an insurance policy. <laughs> right. I love, uh, speaking of Michael Ironside from, from previous, uh, our previous segment here on this episode, when he does the voice of Darkseid, and... It's just the shock of, of dark side, not taking Batman seriously. Cause oh, he's just human being. Mm-hmm. I should, I don't have to worry about him. And then realizing that, and Kerry Connell are just bringing out so perfectly the delivery. This, oh, he's the one I need to be the most worried about. And baby Superman said, yep. You know, dark side probably comes to that realization. Oh, uh, he's the one I need to be the most worried. Cause he's never going to stop, is he? And basically with Superman's right. like, yep. He thinks now. <laughs> He brought up something about Kevin that he hadn't worked on stage or in front of the camera until he did that crossover. And I think when we reviewed, I lamented it because he was the Earth 99 Batman. For those that don't know, that's the kingdom come elsewhere. And though he, he doesn't have one of the bat suit, he has one of the suit tie. He does have the external exoskeleton that the Batman in that particular world has, which is it was Bodies based on beaten that, up yeah. from year to year by the God. Yeah. It, it, it's basically, it's basically, uh, uh, an, an Iron Man suit without being a full suit. Yeah. They, they just and, had him as, a, um, uh, they, they made him a villain for which I didn't, I can't control. Well, we didn't like that. We made him, a, they made him a killer and mm-hmm. it was like, no, no, the Batman and Kingdom Come was not a killer. Uh, but anyway, 
And we all lamented that, that that was the one time that Kevin Conroy got to play a live action Batman. It was great to hear the voice. And of course, his delivery of what they gave him was awesome because it was mm-hmm. Kevin Conroy. And you saw a glimpse of what a younger Kevin could have brought to the table if he'd have been cast instead of Val Kilmer and right. Batman. Right. Right. Yeah. If you go and you look at the pictures of Kevin Conroy when he was in his 20s and 30s, uh, he, he was a handsome dude. I think I can say that as a, right. uh, a completely straight male. But if I were to look at that picture, I'd be like, looks like Bruce Wayne to me. Right. Now, during my research for this tribute, I found out that as an interview, I found a lot of Kevin. And he had actually wanted to play Batman live. And there was talk of that. But he, he was never approached. He chickened out of his own. His mm-hmm. fear was, Kevin was his entire adult life and openly gay man. And he had a husband when he passed away. He feared in that time frame, in the early 90s, that that studio heads would be interested in him as a live action Batman. He feared there would be a backlash from the comic book community. So he just kind of stepped away. And I hate that. I hate that he did that. I think, unfortunately, now, had he been cast, they would have made Batman gay just because he was gay, which is mm-hmm. the exact same problem in the other direction. I think Batman is known to be straight. He's always been presented straight. Hey, right. Kevin's a great actor. He would have called on pulled it off. You yeah. Only would have believed him as straight yeah. man. He knows, you know? he knows that Bruce Wayne is a straight man. It, it, it's a similar thing, quite mm-hmm. frankly, with the character Sulu in Star Trek. Obviously, we know George Takei is gay, right. but even George Takei will be the first person to tell you Sulu was straight. It's not like we're talking well, quantum physics here. Same, same thing, I think, with like, like John Ritter as Jack Tripper. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, that was done for comedic effect in the 70s. Right. John Ritter was convincing for a 70s gay man, or at least a straight man playing a gay man in the 1970s. But Jack Tripper was totally straight, and so was John Ritter. Right. So, I hate that we, at that time period, because it was in my Chuck College years, and Kevin probably was right. We probably lived in a society where some would have held that against them. And that he had such a fear of that, that it kept him and it kept us as fans from seeing him as a live action Batman. I hate that, but it just wasn't meant to be. And he, but even without all that, we have all these years that we've been talking about of his voice work. And it's like, if that's all I get, I'm, I'm more than happy, mm-hmm. but I do still lament that we didn't get that. And it was his own fear and other people's narrow mindedness that pushed his fear to say, nah, I don't really want to do because like you said, you look at a picture, Kevin Conroy would have been any big. That's mm-hmm. the thing that's, that both yeah. is one of the biggest, biggest, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for, problems that a lot of fans had with whether it was Michael Keaton or George Clooney or Bob Kilmer or even Christian Bale. It wasn't until Ben Affleck played Batman right. that people always said, Batman's a big dude. Right. And these are all smaller guys. Now, Ben Affleck, which is a horse, he's a huge guy, yeah. right? Yeah, he's what, six, like three, six four or so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's what Bruce Wayne is built like. In the comic books, he's like what? He's like he's supposed to be like six two, two yeah. like two hundred twenty five pounds. So he, big man. Kevin Conroy is not that thick, but Kevin Conroy is like six four, six five. He he could have easily bulked up for the role and been much more convincing physically than a lot of these other guys. And and I know that it was later in his in his career when I would see him at these Q and As, but he'd wear like a polo shirt. But you could tell just by looking at him that I don't think he was a stranger to the gym. I, I think he kept in shape. No, it's just a bit. Yeah. The only other the only other actor I think that Geekville Radio. All right, back in real time twenty twenty three. That was one of those 
celebrity losses that kind of gut punched me for a bit, like I talked about in that segment there. I think people for years to come will probably still hear Kevin Conroy's voice in their heads when they read Batman comics. Attention all Time Lords and ladies, Geekville Radio presents Examining the Doctor, a weekly look at everybody's favorite Time Lord, the Doctor. Join Mark and Seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor to favorite and not-so-favorite episodes of Doctor Who. From Hartnell to Capaldi, Examining the Doctor provides episode commentaries for classic and current Doctor Who fans alike. Examining the Doctor, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at geekgoradio.com. But moving along from Geekville Radio proper to one of our other shows, Examining the Doctor, where Mark Short and I discuss Doctor Who. And most of that show is episode commentaries that are meant to be played along with episodes. Obviously, you need to have your own way to... Obviously, you will need possession of the Doctor Who episode that we talk about first. But then you just play our commentary track along and we talk about the episode. We talk the history, fun facts, actors, and obviously, we try to have a few jokes because it's kind of hard to do a commentary track these days without channeling your inner mystery science theater or your inner riff tracks. But for here, we're, we just stick to talking about the return of David Tennant because that sent shockwaves through not just Doctor Who, but the sci-fi genre in general. And without further ado, we're going to hop in the TARDIS and talk some David Tennant. I did watch The Power of the Doctor, and I was slightly spoiled on it because I had gotten some text messages about people saying that David Tennant was coming back. And my response was basically, yeah, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it because I think we'd all been hearing that for like 10 years, that Tennant was coming back like to stay for a bit. And then lo and behold, we got that last minute of Power of the Doctor. And we also got old incarnations throughout the episode, which I thought was kind of a nice touch as well. But were you tipped off beforehand that, that Tennant was going to be coming back? Or? Well, it's almost impossible to avoid spoilers in, in this day and age, isn't it? The minute you go on the internet, you step on a minefield. Yeah. But I had known that they'd been filming months and months before with Tennant. So mm-hmm. either he was going to be part of some multi-doc story or not. But the problem was there was nobody else cited at filming. So, yeah, I think it was spoiled for me. I actually had a terrible 48 hours because I was waiting for someone to send me a copy from England because I wanted to see it. And then, of course, you're trying to avoid every Facebook post and you're trying to avoid every spoiler. It's almost impossible, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But um, at the end of the day, this is good news. The return of Russell T. Davis, the return of David Tennant. And after the roller coaster it's been for the last three, four, five years, everybody's pretty much knowledgeable of the fact that I was very pro Jody coming out the gate, mm-hmm. but I was a little bit more cautious about Chibnall's writing and lo and behold, it came to pass that he couldn't write really to save himself. So yeah, it was a very disappointing period of my Doctor Who fandom. As you may know, I, I've kind of avoided talking about some of the Capaldi episodes that I never even watched, which a younger version of me would have been very disappointed mm-hmm. that I actually missed episodes of Doctor Who. Yeah. But it happened again, didn't it? It happened again with Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. There were several episodes. Can't even remember what they were called now, but I just didn't have any interest in watching them. So to have Tennant back, who's tried and true and trusted to have a great writer back in the form of Russell T. Davis and 
Murray Gold on music. It could be a rehash of the greatest hits, but I myself want good Doctor Who in this anniversary year coming up. The only issue I have with the whole thing is that we're getting, again, such a limited amount of it. Yeah, you know, we're getting, I think it's three specials. So they're probably going to be movie length episodes. They're actually going to be an hour long each. Ah, okay. So they're effectively going to be normal episodes then in length, right? And if you look closely, you do see a little bit of difference in, in the clothing. I, I think the overcoat isn't the usual brown that he wears. I, I think it's more well, blue. Well, costume is a brand new one. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and it is similar. But that coat is, of course, something that was brought up recently in news reports, wasn't it? Yeah. And naturally, there were all of a sudden all these fan theories about the clothes regenerating. Because I think that's first. I mean, maybe from Hartnell to Troughton, there they, they might have been the sudden clothing change, but that's that's well, there way was back. there was a complete clothing change, and people seem to have forgotten about that. Mm-hmm. But we all know the truth behind it, don't we? In fact, Russell T. Davis in Doctor Who magazine just came out and said, "I didn't want ten transformed into women's clothing." Mm-hmm. He believed that it would be all over the media, and that basically. Even 20 years from now, there'd be pictures of that shown in the media. Custom-made action figures and all that jazz. Well, I mean, it just isn't perfect in that I'm a huge proponent of the fact that the Doctor changes, not his clothing. But we don't know anything yet. We don't know if the story that's going to be written is that they claim, you know what, I'm, I'm done with the producer says this is not the case. And then what happens you know, it's the old loss syndrome again, isn't it? Mm. Oh no, season one, this is definitely not purgatory, season seven. Oh no, this is definitely purgatory. <laughs> yeah. So I don't believe any of them anymore. You know, it's just, it's not worth taking people to their word because at the end of the day, they are here to tell us stories and, and people want to know these secrets a year before the show airs. Mm-hmm. And I got my own issues about the fact that we've got to wait an entire year. I have said, and thankfully, many, many people have backed us up in the last month. Why are they not using the abilities of Paul McGann and running those episodes that he should have done many years ago? And luckily enough, the entire world seems to have now caught up, caught up with my idea. Yeah. Because there's a huge push for that. And I don't know if you know, but Disney is basically injecting the rumors. Again, rumors, can't, can't tell you more than that. But the word on the street is the budget's going from $3 million to $10 million. And this is going to be huge for the program. But I do worry that our British asset is kind of being sold out the back door to Disney. They will deny it. But there's no denial on the fact that they're pushing money into this thing like nobody's ever done. You know, and, and I believe the these episodes, and I think The Power of the Doctor was as well. I believe it was filmed in the volume similar to how The Mandalorian is, where they have the computer-generated backgrounds in this big dome that the actors are in, which is why they were able to do these long John Carpenter-like shots of them going through what would have been an, an enormous set. Because they did, that, they did that a lot in the episodes. It's just another version of green screen, except the actors can actually now see what's happening on the green screen around them. Exactly. And yeah. I, for one, think it's great that what they've done with Andor, which is even more impressive, this the Star Wars mm-hmm. show that just aired on Disney Plus. I'm a, a big fan of how this is how you do Star Wars without doing Star Wars. So it's right. actually very impressive TV. But they use the background of the backdrop, like through windows of real set. This is amazing stuff. So you could do a car process shot and actually have 
instead of a green screen behind the car or film projection, you have the volume. So now you can actually do things that you couldn't do before and it looks very real. Mm -hmm. No reason you can't do it with Doctor Who, done a good job with it. But yet again, we forget that Doctor Who is not about injecting tons of money for visual effects. It's about having a good story and a good writer. If we don't have that, then we have the last three seasons of Doctor Who. And we have a big problem in that we create rabbit holes that we go down, like the Fugitive Doctor and our entire companion setups, like the Doctor's going to fall in love with the companions. And then there's no payoff. Even if you loved that series of Doctor Who, the female Doctor years, even if you loved it, you got no payoff. I would be absolutely livid. <laughs> I just, I'm apathetic about it because to me, it was a gigantic letdown. I can't speak for the rest of Doctor Who fandom. There generally seems to be a very vocal majority of people who didn't like it. All I can ever do is talk for myself. And it, it brings into sharp focus for me when we watched The Power of Doctor and we saw Sylvester and Sophie deliver just like they did 30 years ago. It was incredibly emotional for me as a fan of that period and also Tegan and Peter Davison. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, they're mentioning Hedrick. Yeah. There's nothing lost there. That, that was just basically a camera pointed at two actors in costume, winning me over, making mm. me remember, not with rose tinted glasses, but just basically showing me that you can have Doctor Who back then that feels exactly the same today. And it's the same way that the next generation fans are, are clamoring for something better than Star Trek Discovery. The new stuff's just not as good as the old. And that's okay. But I like to be proven right because, you know, I am sometimes right. And I know we could sit here and nitpick about, well, they could have de-aged the actors or something like that. Did, did, did we need... Oh, hell no. Yeah. No, it's, it's I, just not necessary. Not yeah, necessary. I, I, I'm perfectly fine with... A 70-year-old Peter Davison as the doctor rather than not having Peter Davison in a cameo as the doctor, if you get what I mean. It's a celebration of what they've done for the show. Mm -hmm. It's given them some work. But more importantly, it's a great validation that they created this show, that they have nurtured it, and it's bulletproof. You know, you could have the last three seasons of Doctor Who that very much disappointed me and a lot of other people, but you can bring those actors back and it uplifts everything. Just for a moment, just for, just for the time being, because let's face it, without those moments, Power of the Doctor was a mess. It was a mess of structure and writing. And when you set up someone like the Fugitive Doctor, who was the saving grace for me of the last three seasons, even though I don't like the concept of it, I love the actress and what she oh, brought she to great. it. Yeah. And they threw it all away. Mm. They threw it all away. So she's. She knew it too, even with the lines that she gave at the end. It's like, well, I'm not going to be back here anymore. Yeah. It, it, it reminded me a little bit of uh, The Last Jedi, maybe a little bit of Escape from LA with the whole hologram thing or whatever you wanted to call it. But, you know, just the whole, you know, see you around and he disappears, you know, or she disappears, I should say. And we got that tease of the renegade Dalek. And then it's just like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> so much for the renegade Dalek. When you cook, which is something that I love to do. If you put too many ingredients into anything, then all the flavors clash and the top of the cake will not rise. It will, it will flatten and you will get a hole in the cake in the middle. And that's exactly what we did with Power of the Doctor. We tried to stuff three pounds of sausage into a one pound sausage casing yeah. and, and the sausage exploded. Yeah. There, there was easily a full season worth of stories that were 
that were crammed into there. Yeah. And then because, you know, you have all this stuff going on, the main central theme of what you could have done with that is basically evolved everything into unrequited love, the disappointments of the doctor. You didn't need all the creatures. You didn't need all the disappointing short cameos. I mean, let me rephrase that. You needed the cameo, but they could have been there with a purpose instead of let's bring William Russell on and do one line. Right. One of the affecting ways of that is that during the regeneration, you know, I, Seth, I, I hate these moments because as you know, over the years, we, we have written some great Doctor Who in our mm -hmm. discussions, which will never come to be. And this is a classic example where we saved the episode. I do not have a big head and say that you should put me in charge of production, <laughs> but certainly set this up, right? That, you know, the doctor's dying. She has regrets of, of what she's done and how she's treated people in the last three seasons. And basically this whole hour of TV is her thinking about what she's done, who she's let down, what is to come. So you can have the cameos, you can have the talk about the unrequited love. You literally need no sets because it's kind of like mm -hmm. a blank space and you have your cameos come in and come out. Actually, that would be unmissable TV for me. Yeah. And, and with the right actor, you can do that. Cause you know, there was that, um, w what was the Capaldi episode? I want to say heaven sent where he kept repeating the same life, like over and over and over, like how many, how many times and it was basically just Capaldi and a, probably in a green screen background and he's just talking to himself, but he was able to make it work. Well, know? we have some of the greatest doctor who ever in heaven sent. I, mm -hmm. I still, to this day. We'll never forget sitting there and working out before, maybe five, 10 minutes before the reveal that basically the doctor was living the same moment over and over again. And it hit me like a train. And you put that next to an episode, like the recent Dalek episode in the storage facility, which was essentially the same idea, repeating the same thing over and over again. One is television brilliance and one is utter dreck. Cause I rewatched that episode, the Dalek one in the storage locker again recently. And I was shocked at how appalling it was. Now I know it was filmed under the constraints of COVID. I get that, but your story was just utter dreck. Lord knows that we have plenty of times in the past where we've had Doctor Who without much of a budget, but we didn't care because the story was good. We all love the Ark and Space and stuff like that. We have a dichotomy now where the executives are like, must make this expensive. But the thing is, Tenant was getting 12 million viewers not based on the flashbang, based on how much people enjoyed his performance. And they won't learn, you know, they won't learn because we've had recently with Star Trek, we've had Discovery, millions of dollars an episode. And the fan films, Star Trek Continues, that showed the way in that there was only about $100,000 to do those episodes. And yet, because it was, again, the story that was well done, people really responded to it. And I don't think we're going to have a problem with this with Russell T. Davis. I think we're going to have the expensive looking episodes. We're also going to have the great writing, but this roller coaster of Doctor Who not being able to really go back to its roots and keep changing it and adding to it and the bloated corpse will eventually fall down the stairs and die because it's just chasing its own tail has at some point got to stop. And we just basically have to sit these producers in a room and say, here's the Ark in space, here's Genesis of the Daleks, here's Remembrance of the Daleks, here, here are, here is how to do this. 
And yeah, the latest thing with the Cybermen is just ridiculous. You know, we have Cybermen now that can regenerate and that are Time Lords. And I mean, Seth, yeah. it's ridiculous, isn't it? Well, and I'm, I'm forgetting his <laughs> name now, but the, the Cybermen with half his face exposed. And here he is. A good part of the Cybermen from the last three years was that guy and the acting performance. Yeah, because because I know he would look up and he'd see the doctor escape, and then he'd grimace, he'd grit his teeth, and like that's an emotion. Why is the Cyberman showing emotion? <laughs> but, Agreed, but at least it was interesting. At least mm-hmm. it was something different. We've had now so many different versions of the Cybermen from the last ten, fifteen years that basically play with canon, and, and I yearn for the days of David Banks and the Earthshock Cybermen mm-hmm. because you remember how people would say. Oh, that Cyberman is is emotional, and it's today it just looks kind of quaint because the emotion coming out of the Cybermen these days is just it's just too much. And I miss the eighties look. I am so ready for a normal white console room with a with a six sided console and not this crystal monstrosity in the middle. I'm so ready for it. I'm so ready to get back to basics. And perhaps really at the end of the day. That's what Doctor Who needs going forward, back to basic. Yeah, because I, and I, I do think with Davis's writing, he rarely does things, like you said, without a payoff. He usually does things for a reason. Because one of my issues with the Moffat era was he would just do these things just to do them. You know, the master mm-hmm. pausing planes in midair for no apparent reason and the doctor riding out in a tank playing a guitar for no apparent reason. And then it's 25 minutes into the episode before you finally get to the story. You know, yeah, because like cool. it was cool to them. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is that it's kind of like when you go back and look at it again, it's silly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I really think, as I've said in many episodes in the past, going back and watching the old 80s Doctor Who in the 70s, which is now so easily available. You, I go onto mm-hmm. different Freeview platforms and there's Doctor Who just yeah. in your face all the time. Yeah, a lot of the classic stuff is on uh, BritBox. So I, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think there's much of the animated stuff. Some of it is, but uh, it's probably because they wanted to sell the DVDs before they put it on a streaming platform. Well, we had but. some TV in this house, which is, I completely forget the name of the channel now, but there's Antiques Roadshow running 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. and there's Doctor Who running 24 hours a day. It's probably, probably Pluto. And yeah, yeah. I just I sit down in front of some of this stuff, and I just get drawn in. I don't even mm-hmm. have the DVDs anymore. I sold my DVDs off because it's so accessible in other ways. And I have bought a few of the D- uh, the Blu-ray box sets because I wanted to see the features. Mm-hmm. I thought I've got the Sylvester McCoy box set recently while I was recuperating from, from a little injury, but nothing bad. And I, I was really enjoying how they were talking about the Cartmore master plan and how that in the late years of West McCoy, they were trying to turn it around and make the doctor more adult. They even used the they term, uh, Mac- Macvillian in the power of the doctor. Yeah. And that was kind of how, uh, McCoy was described as being very manipulative and, and, uh, controlling, you might say. Well, I, I think JNT, the producer at the time, was very lucky to have people that cared about Doctor Who as much as him because he did need some help to elevate the production from the kind of pantomime-esque aspects which he would sometimes bring to it. But yeah, no, it's it's shockingly good watching those old 80s episodes. There's mm-hmm. some great there's some great stuff there. 
that I will watch them for many, many years to come. But most of these episodes of the last maybe even 10 years, I, I just don't see myself revisiting them. It's not out of hatred for anyone. It's just out of they're not very good. They're just, they're just not very good. And if we are going back to kind of the best of the tenant era, I mean, you, you look back at this stuff like Silence in the Library, that whole run with when you basically had two tenants running around. Yeah, I, I don't remember now, but that was very affecting with them meeting on the the the, 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 the shore and talking about. Anytime you have emotion in Doctor Who, earned emotion, of which is some great stuff from the Moffat era even and Russell T. Davis. It's just it's just earned and, and I really feel that it's going to be great to have the Doctor Donna combo back. I don't really care even how it happens. People are speculating, is it the toy maker? Is it is it this? Is it that? The truth is we have no idea. The mm-hmm. only issue I have with the whole thing, this is not enough of it for an anniversary year. Three hours of Doctor Who just seemed like a huge waste of the ability to capitalize on this anniversary year. And I know this is a comic example and not TV, but you know, for anniversaries, we'd see it in comics all the time where not only would they have like a special miniseries commemorating some character's anniversary, but there'd be tie-ins for all the other uh, titles out there and they kind of all converge at one point. And you'd think we could get that with Doctor Who, like like you said. I mean, we've all wanted McGann to have a proper season. You could do a McGann season. You could do stuff with Tennant, and then they meet in the finale or or something like that. All these ways well, they could go. And you know. this this was probably bad timing with the pandemic, perhaps. But this was the perfect year to do a Doctor Who movie. Mm-hmm. This was the perfect time. I hate, in fact, in my life, I think I'm very much the same way. But I hate missed opportunities. I hate lost chances it sounds a bit morbid but people were talking about marvel movies recently about oh we've got you know infinity war what is it the, the secret wars to look forward yeah. to and stuff in in 20 2020 for all the fans who are not going to be able to see this stuff because they will die in the next mm-hmm. two years waiting how it's many really people <laughs> who, who i know it's morbid but you know what i don't know why we wait so long to do things sometimes in the world that we are in today and i just feel like it's it's wasted opportunities it's wasted time poor old paul mcgann is getting older and older every year and he really looked incredible in that doctor episode when he transformed into the war doctor that little short yeah it really showed how amazing he was in just in that little uh, he looks fine in the power of the doctor but he's not, he's not at that level he could have been, you know, eight, nine, ten years ago. Because he's just got older. I can't hold it against him. It's not his fault. It's the BBC's fault for not not grabbing that opportunity and saying, okay, we're going to make six months of the year. You, you only got to wait six months to see this guy. And then the other six months of the year, you'll have this to watch. Yeah. And, and I think you could it's even have... The waste of opportunity. Yeah, you could you could have a showrunner for a McGann season, and then you could have another showrunner for the the tenancies. I mean, let's, let's look at Star Trek here. This is a very good example, or even Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So Star Trek, you got Lower Deck, Discovery, Picard, Strange New World. That's basically one series every quarter. Mm-hmm. Now, whether you like, because I absolutely test two of those, 
I'm actually a very new convert to lower deck. So I think it's actually brilliant. You know, I haven't seen it, but I've, I've heard good stuff about it. But I really put off it. I wasn't really enjoying it the first year or so, but now I, I went back and I started watching season three, just like Next Generation, and I'm, I'm in. It's great. Mm-hmm. And then Strange New Worlds was great the minute I watched it. That thing is great. Yeah. But Discovery is a train wreck. It's just terrible. And the same with the Marvel things. You know, I've really enjoyed She-Hulk. Really enjoyed some of the recent stuff. Not not so hot on some of the movies recently. I mean, I want to like them, but they just, they are becoming the same. Every time I see them, it's like, wow, it's the same thing I watch with different characters. And it always usually ends with a giant creature at the end that they got to fight. Yeah, and, and I think uh, just one other thing about the Marvel stuff. I mean, I really loved Hawkeye, and I doubt the budget on Hawkeye was as high as some of the other series because there really didn't seem to be that much in the way of big special effects as such. It was more of a character-based story, which I think fits with Hawkeye. But now, so we're going to get the 60th anniversary. And now, do we know if Tenant's episodes are going to be before or after that or during it? or? Well, I think the next time we get to watch Doctor Who is basically next November. Yeah, a year. It's a year. And, and, and again, I, I know that you rolled your eyes at my morbid nature, <laughs> but there's a lot of people now who watch Doctor Who in the 60s and the 70s. They're not getting any younger. Mm-hmm. They deserve that moment. They deserve their 60th anniversary. And I just feel it's, it's many different folds. It's the nature of TV. It's the nature of the COVID. It's the nature of the BBC not understanding what they've got as usual because they don't. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm mad, actually. I'll put it like that. I'm mad that, that, that Doctor Who is not being monetarized. I'm mad that people can't watch what they want. Because if you've got three shows a year going on, one of them's going to be good. The other two might be class and some of the worst episodes of Torchwood. But, but you're going to have something for people to watch, to get behind, to be enthusiastic, enthusiastic about. And like I said, I hate missed opportunities and I, I am actually quite, quite disappointed at the BBC and their short sightedness. I don't want to be in charge of Doctor Who, but I certainly would be making a hell of a lot more Doctor mm-hmm. Who than there is because we have, we have more to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> and I think some people, at least, at least for me, like if we were getting like movie length episodes, okay, I could probably be cooler with only three episodes if they were all movie length, if they were two hour two-hour movie-like episodes, but you have three episodes yeah, but in, in you know, a year. Do you, do you remember those Matt Smith episodes, which were movie, that seemed like they were movie-length, like the one with the dinosaurs on the spaceship and stuff? Yeah, and, they, and, and the, the, the giant TARDIS that was like his tomb or something like that. So, Seth, Seth you know, in the breaths that we say, Genesis of the Daleks, the breaths that we say, uh, shock, will we ever talk about, oh, dinosaurs on the spaceship, wasn't that yeah. so great? The movie-length episodes have actually been, to me, utter disasters. Doctor Who was a 25-minute format over four episodes. They tried to do it for two. They tried to do it for three. They tried to do it for eight. They tried to do it for 12. Doctor Who works 25 minutes, 90-minute total, four episodes. Beginning, middle, end. Absolutely. It's not just rose-tinted glasses, though, that come up with that. It's the fact that you and people like you were drawn into a show 20, 30 years after it was made. That's a testament to the production teams that made Doctor Who in the past that drew you and new people in and still draw someone like me, who's a very jaded over 50 year old, but will sit not that far behind you. <laughs> and, yeah. But 
I, a lot of this, by the way, is very joking. I don't feel jaded at all. I am actually enjoying my life at this point more than I've ever done. I feel energized and motivated by being a proponent of the fact that people get to watch classic Doctor Who pretty much at the drop of a hat. I watched Legopolis about a month ago, and it's just amazing, amazing mm -hmm. TV. I don't care about the bad models work. I don't care about the CSO of Tom Baker hanging in front of a green screen. All I care about is just seeing Tom Baker at his height, surrounded by great actors, a wonderful script, credible sets, and basically going, my God, this is Doctor Who. You don't need $10 million to do it. <laughs> That's going to wrap it up for this edition of Geekful Radio. Like I said, this was our International Podcast Day special edition. Kind of a highlight reel. We hope you enjoyed our tribute to Kevin Conroy and our discussion about David Tennant. If this is your first time listening to us, hope you liked what you heard. We are Geekful Radio. You can find us at geekvilleradio.com. You can find all of our family shows there, the podcast platform of your choosing. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, just about anywhere you find podcasts, you can find Geekville Radio. Give us a follow on social media. You can give us a review. Let us know what we're doing well. Let us know what we're, we could improve on. As I always say, I welcome all feedback as long as it's genuine. So you can definitely be negative if you want. If, you, if there's something you think is negative about the show that you'd want to see improved, I'm all ears. I'd rather hear genuine negative feedback than false positive, you might say. But the social media, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Geekful Radio. You can post there. You can post on our website, geekfulradio.com. We have a comment section there for all of our posts there. And you can contact us through, via email at show at geekfulradio.com or me at seth at geekfulradio.com. We're going to... Shut down the power here in the Geekful Radio studios. And our next episode, we'll be back to the normal, fun news and entertainment format that we've been doing for like 350 episodes now. So hopefully we'll see you guys then. We'll talk to you next time. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the host and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of geekvilleradio.com, a1-wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved.